0: Here we go. Uh, if you got a Bible, you can open it up to Acts chapter 2 this morning. Uh, we're in a, for those of you who are new around here, let me tell you where we're at. Uh, we're in a, a series for the whole year where we're studying the book of Acts. Uh, and then in that series, we got to chapter 2. And in that, then we're studying the church that Jesus came to plant. We don't have to guess. We don't need to read a bunch of books. We can just see this one and see the church that Jesus came to plant. Uh, And then we got to verse 14, and we started a series within the series within the series. And that series is called But Peter. And what we're doing is we're looking at those two words right there, and we're seeing that there is a lot in there. Like how amazing it is that it is Peter who is preaching on the day of Pentecost. Peter. who three and a half years prior to this moment was a Jewish school dropout. Peter who doubted Christ and so he sunk in the water. Uh, Peter who was called Satan because he didn't understand the proper doctrine. Peter who denied Christ on the night of his crucifixion or the night before. Peter, it's Peter out of everyone that Jesus looks and goes, who's gonna preach on opening day? I want that guy. And so, but Peter. And we're finding a lot of hope in this because Peter is not just a Christian above all the other Christians. Peter is you and I. Peter is God's spirit working in us. And so we're looking at the traits that we see in Peter, not because we want to emulate Peter, but because we want to learn so that we can follow Christ. And so in Peter, we saw trait number one two weeks ago, resilience. And resilience is not arrogance. It's not this like self-willed, I'm going to get myself back up. uh, Resilience, biblical resilience starts with humility. It It starts with proper repentance. And then God raises up, not us and so that was number one resilience number two we talked about last week was being trained we are made into something in fact when Peter was first called to follow Christ Jesus said to him, I will make you something. And so we are made uh, under Christ. We call that discipleship often, or training, is what we talked about last week. And so uh, Peter, he was uh, resilient. He kept getting back up uh, through humility. Uh, And then uh, he was trained properly. And then something else happened. Because you and I know, and if you've been around church for a while, you know, you can be well-trained, right? And you can even be resilient, like, I, I keep coming back right? But then something else happened in Peter, and what was it? Well, trait number three is this, that Peter was spirit-filled. He was filled with the Spirit of God. Now, this phrase, spirit-filled, it carries a lot of weight uh, in the church, and it carries a lot of different ideas in Christianity. And so what I want to do today is I want to start a series within the series within the series within the series, okay? And that is some myths of what it is to be filled with the Spirit. And I want to look at six of them over the next couple of weeks. And today, we're going to look at two. And uh, and I want to cover these so that we understand when we say, hey, we want to be a church that is filled with the Spirit, what we mean by that, and consequently then, what we don't mean by that. A couple of uh, years ago now, uh, I, I, there was a friend of mine. He's a friend now. I guess he wasn't really a friend at the time in the same way, because he had just started coming to the church, just when we were back at the Holiday Inn. And uh, he showed up, and and we were talking, and we're having this conversation, and he goes, you know, somebody told me not to come here. And I said, oh, why is that? And he goes, oh, because they said that you guys aren't spirit-filled. And I said, well, that's news to me. What, what do you think that person meant by that? And he said, oh, well, he meant, and this was the conclusion this person was drawing, uh, you guys don't speak in tongues during the weekend, or Stephen, you don't pray in tongues on Sunday morning, and so you, you guys aren't spirit-filled. Now, this idea of being spirit-filled and what being spirit-filled looks like, we've said this before in our church, Acts chapter 2, which was the great chapter on church unity, has unfortunately become the cha- the great chapter of church disunity over the last 2,000 years. And so, we try to understand these from a full picture of what the scripture teaches. And so, that's why we're kind of going into this, like six myths. That one that I just mentioned, I'll hit that one uh, in either next week or the week after. Um, we're going to start off with two that will give us a for the later myths. These myths and busting through them are really important because let me assure you that both as a follower of Christ and as a church, we all should want to be filled with the Spirit. The church that Jesus came to plant is filled with the Spirit. The follower of Christ who has surrendered their life and said, I will make room for you, is filled with the Spirit. So let's look at these myths. We're going to do that by studying a couple of verses here in Acts chapter 2. Actually, I'll read the verses to you, uh, and then you'll see where the myths come out of them. Uh, Number one is this. And in the last uh, days—actually, no, the verse I'm going to read is, is 17. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh This is Peter preaching that opening sermon, uh, and he's quoting the prophet Joel as he's preaching it. And in there uh, we see, and on this particular day, we see these first two myths. And so uh, let's walk through them. Myth number one is this, that the filling of the Holy Spirit is a one-time thing that we never go back to. There is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that does happen. We see that in Acts chapter 2. But even those who are baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, there are going to be later moments where it is going to say, and then they were filled with the Spirit. And then uh, then they were filled with the Spirit and they did this. They were filled with the Spirit and they did that. And the word that is being used there is not saying, oh, it's uh, tapping into the previous filling. It's saying that in that particular moment, they were filled with the Spirit. And this word filled with the Spirit in this way uh, is like this idea. The word that's usually associated with it is power. Uh, Power came upon them. Sometimes we use this word to describe this. There was an anointing in that moment. You could sense it. You could feel it. There there was power there. And so, let me break through the myth a little bit. Every Christian, right, in order to become a Christian, right, the, the, the Holy Spirit is active. The, the, the scripture teaches us why. Like we're, we're dead in our sin. We're dead to Christ. We're living in darkness. We go from dead in Christ, living in darkness, through the power of the gospel, through the proclamation of the gospel, and the activation of the Holy Spirit, we are then transformed from death to life right? We call this salvation conversion, right? The Spirit is present in that moment. I do believe all believers, Then we have the Holy Spirit. We can certainly darken the Holy Spirit. Uh, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. I'll talk about that later. But we have the Holy Spirit with us. And what does He do? He helps guide us into truth. He convicts us of sin. We get to bear the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, should be an active participant uh, in our faith for every follower of Christ. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. What I'm talking about today is, is what we call the filling of the Spirit. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit filling us in, in, in one of two ways, usually. Either for a particular moment or with a particular gifting. This is how this often plays out. Either a particular moment or a particular gifting. And so, some of us, even if you wouldn't doctrinally say, I, I, I get what you're saying right now, or, or I fully agree with what you're saying, you often pray these things. And so this is what you do. You go, God, I pray that the, that the anointing would be on this person. I pray that you would give them the words to speak. What are you asking for in that moment? You're asking for a filling of the Spirit in that particular moment. You might do this for yourself sometimes where you're like, I'm going into a situation. I don't know what to do. By the way, one of the myths I'm going to hit is about how the filling of the Holy Spirit is not just supposed to be present on Sunday mornings in church. The, the filling of the Holy Spirit uh, is with us in every part of our life, okay? But you, you pray, like, God, I'm going in this situation. I don't know what to do, and I just need you to give me wisdom in this moment, right? And you step in, and you begin to have a conversation with somebody. Maybe you're counseling them, or it's a difficult conversation, and you get done, and you walk out, and you go, where did that come from? What was that? The filling of the Spirit. It's the filling of the Spirit, In in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not talking there to people who haven't experienced the Holy Spirit before. He's not talking there to non-Christians. He's talking there to Christians, and he is saying as a— it's really written as a command, not a suggestion, right? And he is saying in the present moment or ongoing, like in a consistent fashion, be filled with the Spirit, And in that particular case, Paul actually helps us out by giving us a metaphor. And here's what it is. It's almost like a play on words in the original. He's saying, instead of being filled with the spirits, alcohol, he's saying, be filled with the spirits. And I don't think what Paul is doing there is just trying to build like a doctrine around alcohol. I think what Paul is trying to do there is he's trying to help us understand what does it look like to be filled in this way with the Spirit. And what it is, is look at the comparison. When somebody is filled with Spirit, what happens? Their behavior changes, right? And also, the effects of that alcohol eventually wear out. And so what do you do? Then you have to engage again, right, for the same thing to happen. I think Paul is setting up a helpful comparison for us. When he's saying be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. we saying it's like it's like when the Spirit like fills you in that way, when the Spirit empowers you in that way, either for a particular moment or for a particular gifting, right? Uh, then you're filled with the Spirit. It even kind of changes you a little bit. Like people will look at you and go, man, I didn't like like I've seen you do this before, but I've never seen you do that before. You're like a different person. It's the filling of the spirit. It's filling of the spirit, right? Or, or that particular moment, whatever it might be. And, and, then, and then what happens, right? Uh, the, the, like the moment ends, or you step out of the gifting for a second, or maybe something happens in your life where you're grieving the Holy Spirit, right? And then there's these later moments where you, then you're then, you're going, God, fill me with your Spirit. We get little snapshots of this, by the way, in the Old Testament, okay? Uh, when, when this happens, when the Holy Spirit will rush on somebody, they'll do something incredible, right? Uh, and the idea there was that it rushed on and it was gone. Now, Again, there's a consistent presence of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives as followers of Christ, but this filling of the Spirit is a power for particular moments or particular giftings, being filled with the Spirit of God. That's what Paul's getting at in Ephesians chapter 5. He's saying, be filled with the Spirit. Okay, that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, okay? That's So we've broken through the first myth. I'm good. I said a prayer. I I converted to Christianity. I've got the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I'm loving and joyful and peaceful and all that kind of stuff. Now I'm talking about something else. Now you might say, but who are you talking to? Who? Who is this for? Well, let's look at the text. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on who? All flesh. All flesh. Let me help. You are a part of all. Sometimes we have these phrases like this, these words like this, uh, and they're so comprehensive, right? That we forget to place ourselves in them, they seem too big. And so actually what I want to do this morning uh, uh, is work through a couple of what um, Peter does mean by all. That way none of us count ourselves out of all because the text says that he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. That in the church that Jesus came to plant, it is supposed to operate by followers of Christ who are filled with the spirit for particular moments and particular giftings so that we might see God's glory through his church go out. So that love might be shown, that, uh, that, that, that God and his purpose is what happened, his eternal purpose, which is the glory of his name through his church. And so who's it for? It's for all people. But let's break down all a little bit. I think Peter, and I think Peter maybe more than anybody, could have started it like this. And in the last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all failures. Failures. On all Failures. Now, first off, we all know we're all in sin. Anyone who says that they're not in sin is a liar, so now they're in sin. Welcome to the team. (laughs) I've said this, I know, so many times. Isn't it amazing that the guy that Jesus commissions as the very first pastor is the guy who messed up the most recently? It's amazing. And that's who God says, I want you to be my first pastor to Peter. Right? And so we have Peter, the denier. We have Paul, the murderer. We have David, the adulterer. All three of them. And part of this uh, teaching is to help us understand that th- this should be hopeful. That if, uh, but Peter, that God looked at Peter and he said, I want you to play, uh, not just that you get to be back in, but you get to be back in, and I'm actually promoting you. Uh, earlier I told you that I'd make you a fisher of men. Now I'm making you a feeder of sheep. I'm making you, I'm turning you into the pastor. You're going to get to preach on opening day, Peter. This is hope for each and every one of us that even in our lowest, darkest moments, when we humble ourselves in repentance, God says, I will raise you back up, and I will not just raise you back up to be who you were. I will raise you back up to be something greater than you even were, okay? But Peter, but Peter, I've said this before, most churches would have fired King David. He went on to have a pretty good career after, but Peter, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, I will pour it out on every failure, on every person. And so as a, uh, as a congregation, we say it this way. Everyone's invited to experience redemption, right? Everyone's invited to experience redemption. But, but not just that, not just stepping into your salvation. We could add on to it and be filled with the Spirit. And so however down the enemy has tried to get you, however much the enemy has tried to make you think that you are now disqualified from doing the work of God, however long you've been sitting on the bench because you think he can't use people like me, but Peter. Use him, he will use you, be open to him, filling you with his spirit. His spirit will pour out on all failures. And really all of us should be saying amen because we look at ourselves and we know. He's talking about me. Number two, what does it mean, all failures? All flesh. What does all flesh mean? And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He goes on to tell us what the next one means. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. In the church that Jesus came to plant, in part, you know that it is the church that Jesus came to plant because the Spirit of God is moving in all generations. It is moving in kids. It is moving in students. It is moving in young adults. It is moving in middle age. It is moving into those of you uh, who are more seasoned. I know we don't have any old people here this morning, right? But it's moving in all age spectrum. We do have some old people here, just so you know. In fact, one of the things that I like to, I like, one of the things I do find myself most correcting, like people say things all the time or whatever. I don't correct everything that someone says. But one of the things I always correct is when people go, yeah, I bet your church is a whole bunch of young people. And I go, you should walk in. It's not. In fact, the other day, somebody was like, man, somebody sat in my seat and I had to sit in the senior, center, the senior section. <laughs> if you don't know where the senior section is, you're in it. Okay. <laughs> I love you. Okay all, every age, when Jesus is moving in his church, and we see it right here, he wants to move through all ages. You know, in the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards, when he would get tired of uh, the adults in his church not caring. When, 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 when the heartbeat and the drumbeat of revival started working through Edwards' heart, and he like knew and he sensed that God was about to do something and to break through, and we have been praying for revival for over a year now as a church, as I know other churches all across our city and our country are, and we're not just talking about getting hyped up and excited. We're talking about like seeing God move in new ways. When Edwards would do that, and he would see a lack of fervor in the adults, he would just go down the hallway. I mean, it was probably a one-room church, but he would go down the pew, I guess, and he would find the kids and he would just start praying with the kids and saying and asking God that they too would be filled with the Spirit, or maybe that they would since they weren't. And the revival in part began to happen because there were kids who were filled with the Spirit of God. And so that's why this morning when we were praying over these, I prayed over these kids exactly what I pray over my own son and my own daughter every single night, that they would come to love Jesus at an early age and that they would be rooted in the Scriptures. But I don't just want them to love Jesus and be rooted in the Scriptures. I always With them, that they would be filled with your spirit to walk out whatever gifting that you might give them. And in the church that Jesus came to plant, it can't just be about, oh, did they raise their hand and get baptized? Or, oh, did we like fully teach them the word of God? It has to be those things, but then it has to be, oh, are they filled with the spirit of God? Like, do they know what it is to walk in his fullness and his power? Have they sensed, even at a young age, what it is to walk in the spirit of God? And so how we handle this and then how we think about our kids and how we set up ministry here, it doesn't just matter for like the future of the church, right? It matters for the very heartbeat of what God cares and loves about. And that is the redeeming and the saving of the lost and him using his church, right, to reach them. And that starts with kids, I think, who are in fire for Jesus. We're in the process of hiring a youth pastor. And I sit down with these guys and have this conversation. It's like, so what are you looking for? And I said, listen, it's easy. I just need you to start the greatest movement in the history of Northwest Ohio through students. <laughs> that's it. That's all I'm, that's all I'm looking for. If you can't do it, go work at Chipotle because that's what we want. That's what we want. So the moment we stepped into this building, one of the things that we all started to pray about was that there would be a day when this auditorium was filled with students. We said it on opening night that we would see a movement of students. And haven't we seen glimpses of this? Haven't we seen the Spirit-filling students? I mean, haven't many of you sat here mesmerized when Hannah gets up on stage at 16 with, you know, the nine books of the Bible or so that she has memorized, okay? Some of you are like, oh, what a joke. No, I'm serious. <laughs> she does. With one of those nine books of the Bible she has memorized, and she would stand up here, and she would quote Scripture, And you would sense it. Why? Because she's theatrical? No. Because she's filled with the Spirit. We sit here and we listen and we get to enjoy the filling of the Spirit in a teenager. And this isn't just our kids and it is just our youth. It is our kids and it is our youth, but it is beyond that as well. It is every age and it is every stage. And that's why I think you know, there's a natural assumption, right, that God is going to use uh, people in the prime of life as we typically describe prime of life, right? But I think in the what Peter is trying to get across is he's saying, yes, it's young uh, and of course it's those who are in the prime of life, but he also says it is the old. And I think when he says it is the old, he's saying to the young to do not get so arrogant. Do not get so prideful that you do not think you need the wisdom of the old. But don't also just rest on understanding the wisdom of the old. You also want the, the, the Spirit of God, the filling of the Holy Spirit on what he calls the old as well. You need to see the Spirit of God coming out of those. And I think one of the ways that this plays itself out or needs to play itself out uh, is that we have this false notion and understanding that we can arrive at a place of life and get there and just not have to do anything anymore. And there's, of course, like a worldly understanding of this called retirement, but then sometimes we transplant that over into the church, that there's like a spiritual retirement, Uh, and this is a false notion, because what we need, people, what we need, what the church needs, what these kids need, are old men and old women who are full of the Spirit and as excited about Jesus as the 17-year-olds. That are full of the Spirit, right? That God is doing something, and then that they're looking at and are like, "This is new," and like, "This is like," and I know it's Him, and I'm uh, and I'm excited about what God is doing. And so, if you have given up, if you have stopped, if you have passed on to better things, if you think it's now just the season that everybody else gets to do the work, and you're going to sit down, like you might not need to like dig the actual ditch anymore. But there's some spiritual ditches that your prayers can dig. And there's some spiritual work, which is the great work that you can do. And there are years of wisdom uh, and there are things that you have seen that we have not, that we need you to bring to the table because the church that Jesus came to plant is always multi-generational when he's moving. And so this is for all ages. And don't we always celebrate around here that we see this? And we see this. That we're seeing this in our life groups. We're seeing this in our Bible studies. We're seeing this on Sunday morning. I and mean, when we do, we see this all over the place. And I'm very, uh, I'm grateful and for those of you who have been around way longer, right? That, you, that you're here and that you, you engage and you love and you serve and you're, you guys are awesome. And it's a reflection of the church that Jesus came to plant. And we need to keep walking in that. Some of you, right? Your best days of ministry are actually still ahead of you. You've been doing this for 50, 60 years and your best days of ministry are still ahead of you. And we will all be the great benefactors of that when you walk into it he's got something for you to do still. All ages. Next, I think when we say all, uh, I want to just use this phrase, all everyday people. I was calling it all everyday people because even in that we can begin to go, all right, I don't know if I'm included in the all. And, and, and what we like to do is we like to reserve this idea for like, again, the special sex of people. And, uh, and it's not, it's for all. It's for you. You, if, you're, if you feel like, man, I am like the most routine average Christian there is. Like I, I kind of show up every once in a while, right? I give a little bit. I serve a little bit. I am excited about what's happening. I do say good things and, and all of that kind of stuff. But no, like this right here, this part of it is not like reserved uh, for just like the holy uh, religious elite. This is for all people. And this is for you. This is for you. This is God still wanting to work something in you in specific moments and with specific giftings for you to walk in. Don't disqualify yourself from this. Don't step out of this. The church that Jesus came to plant is filled with all people, filled with the Spirit. You. Okay, so now maybe you're like, okay, that's intriguing enough. i listen. How do I do that? What happens next? If you really want me to be filled with the Spirit, how do I go about doing that? Uh, uh, Or if I haven't sensed the Spirit in my life, what can I do to begin sensing that Spirit? I want to end with with three things that we can do, all of us. In fact, I'll probably revisit these each week, okay? Um, And and so number one is this. You want to sense the Spirit. And if we want to sense the Spirit as a church, first, we have to stop grieving the Spirit. That's biblical that we can grieve the spirit of God. And remember, the spirit is not a force. The spirit is a person, a part of the Trinity. The spirit is God. We can grieve the spirit. There's a few ways that we can grieve the spirit. Let me walk through them. Uh, And by the way, receiving the the filling of the spirit is not about your holy perfection. I, I, I can remember seasons in my life, and some of you probably can too, where, where you thought to yourself, like, I hit the Holy Spirit bingo this week, and so I'm gonna be walking in power, right? You're like, I didn't say that thing I, sh- I was going to say. I didn't watch that thing that I normally watch. I listened to K-Love this week. Like, you're like going through it, right? And like, Holy Spirit bingo, I should have great power. I, I can tell you guys, man, even for me, like, there, there are sermons that I have preached when I have walked up on stage feeling like the absolute failure I talked about in, 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 in week one and then God just going Whoo! and then me walking off and him saying, you think this is about you? Right? Now, on one hand, we don't earn the Holy Spirit power. On the other hand, we can't grieve the Spirit. And so we try to understand the tension or the balance between these two things. So what does it mean to grieve the Spirit? Number one, deliberate sin is a way to grieve the Spirit. And so you can watch last week's sermon. I'll walk through a bunch. Whatever this is, whatever this is, if, it's, if it is sexual sin, if it uh, is uh, the way you speak, if it is uh, uh, um, a bitterness that you're holding onto your heart, if it is the broken down of a relationship that God has asked you to restore, whatever it might be, our deliberate sin can sear our conscience, right? It can darken our hearts, and it can grieve the spirit of God. And in one hand, we're saying, I want the spirit. And in the other hand, but I don't want to give this up. Both of those cans can't be raised in worship, right? Like, like eventually, like one, he says, you're a double-minded man, right? Stop grieving the spirit. Repent. Repent, right? Deliberate sin, right? Uh, will we'll grieve the spirit. Another thing that will grieve um, the spirit is bad doctrine. Bad doctrine will grieve the spirit of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit leads us into what? Truth. The Holy Spirit leads us into truth. And so bad doctrine can begin to grieve the Spirit. And uh, maybe you've experienced this before. We're like, wow, this, this thing I was a part of or this person that I knew, there used to be like the Spirit of God there. You could sense it when you walked into the room. And now I look and I don't even know what's going on anymore. And I, and I don't sense the Spirit there. Why? Because the Spirit doesn't exist in bad doctrine. There's nothing for him to elevate or to empower in that moment. He leads into truth. And so where bad doctrine begins to take over, the Spirit begins to exist. And so if you've uh, began to walk down some of these trails, whether in in, in who you're reading or who you're listening to, right, or who you're joining up with, and I'm not talking about just being friends with, right, I'm talking about like partnering with in the advancement of the gospel. If bad doctrine has begun to take over, there is no spirit there. And one of the ways to, to, to begin to walk into the Spirit of God, right, is to just hold on to the firm doctrines of the truth because that, he goes, I will breathe life into that all day. The Spirit will. The third way that we can grieve the Spirit of God is through Disunity. Disunity. If you've ever been a part of, of like, nasty church or nasty um, Christian, like, relationships or anything like that, I, I don't always know, like, I can't tell you what was present in your situation. I don't know why it happened. I don't know who was right. I don't know who was wrong. I don't care who was right. Who was All of that. I can't tell you one thing, that the moment the division started, the spirit departed. Okay? That I can tell you. And you walk in and you go, how can Christians get this mean? How can these types of things happen? Because apart from the spirit of God, we revert back to the flesh. And so then things start coming out of our mouths. We start acting in certain ways. We start doing certain things. And people go, oh, I can't believe that church. Or I can't believe a Christian. Or I can't believe something like that. Whatever happened like that, you want to know why it happened? Because the spirit was no longer a part of it. The spirit is about unity. Peter instructed it. Paul asked for it, right? Jesus prayed for it. The Spirit breathes His life into unity. And by the way, can I just take a second here? This is a freebie. There are times in our marriages, right, where we're wondering how come we don't feel, right, like the Spirit of God is resting in our house? How come He doesn't feel like He's present in our marriage? And the reason He's not is because there's disunity in the marriage. There's disunity over sex. There's disunity over money. There's disunity over how we're going to raise these kids. There's this disunity over what we're going to do in the future and the Holy Spirit's looking. He's like, you guys all want to just keep fighting. When I called you to be one, let me know when you want me back. And so you think like, oh, disunity about this doesn't matter, right? We can have this perfect godly marriage and still be completely disunified and all of those things that I just said don't work that way. One is one. Get back to it. Have the tough conversations to heal your marriage to let unity return because here 's the beauty of it here 's what happens there was a um, some time ago uh, there was there was a guy uh, in in the church, and um, it, it, this happened right here in this auditorium but uh, and he and i we, we had a little bit of tension going on on just on on, on something uh, to do in the church right and it wasn 't like massive there was no sin involved or anything like that there was just a little bit of tension. And, and he was in the room and I was in the room. This was actually before service. And, uh, and at some point in time, we started turning and we kind of started walking towards each other. And as we started walking towards each other, um, there had been a little bit of relational tension over the last couple of weeks. We came in and we gave each other a hug. And in the moment we gave each other a hug, it was like the Holy Spirit like, um, it was like creeping up, almost like a creepy cat. Like he's like coming up, right? And as soon as he saw his hug, he's like, Woo! He's like, Isn't this great, guys? Isn't this awesome? This good. We like each other, don't we? Yeah, this is awesome. And it was like the Spirit was just like, whoo! And we all felt it. Why? Because the Spirit loves unity. He loves unity. And some of you, you could be driving home today, right? And you have sensed this in your marriage. And you're just reaching over and finally grabbing the hand again. And you're going to feel an electric shock. And that's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, we're going to fix this. We're going to save this. And we're getting back at it. Okay. Because the Holy Spirit loves unity. He loves it. He loves it. Another way. Okay, so that's the first one. All of that was the first one. All right? Could have been a series within a series within a series within a series. I want to finish Acts before I die. That's my goal. <laughs> okay. Number two. What's number two? This is it. Okay. Start elevating Jesus. If you want to know the filling of the Spirit, start elevating Jesus in your life. Start elevating Jesus in your marriage. Start elevating Jesus in your friendships. And church, if we want to know the filling of the Spirit, we got to elevate Jesus here. Haven't you been in the room? Haven't you sensed it? It's almost as if, like again, the Holy Spirit is standing on the outside and he's like circling a church and he's like listening in. He's like, oh, "What are they talking about?" Okay, it seems like they're talking a lot about like you and and how you get better at life and and there's a couple of tips that that things might get better and uh, and it's good and yeah 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 I learned something today and the Holy Spirit's like, "Okay, all right, get to the good stuff." Right? and He's just kind of hanging out and then, uh, or maybe the Holy Spirit looks in and he's like, "Man, this seems a lot about like like just contemporary issues and uh, and not that there's not." place to talk about that, some stuff, but it seems like it's really focused on this world, right? And, uh, and all of the, the, the worries of this world and everything like that. And, uh, or, or it seems like it's all about the church. It's all about the organization. It's all about the entity. It's all about like this, that thing, right? And, you're, and the Holy Spirit is just out there and he's like, okay, 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 enough, 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 right? Uh, and then even sometimes we can be in an environment and it's like the Holy Spirit is just waiting for the moment when you go, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus like start elevating Jesus like he like like he was there when creation began he is the water uh, of life he is the bread of life he is the everlasting water that never runs out he's the name above everything he healed the leper he would let people in that nobody else would and he would engage with them and love them in a way that that, that brought tears to their eyes he was the one who was touched and he knew it because he knows each and every one of us he was the one who came to seek and to save the lost, he was the one who gave sight to the blind. He's the one who looked at the deaf guy, all right. And he said, Here, speak, mute, speak. Jesus, it's all about Jesus. And if you want to, to sense the Holy Spirit, just start proclaiming the name that is above every name the one who is worthy of it all, the one who at the end of days, everyone will bow down before him. He has a name, it is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And we can talk about all the things we want to talk about. And we get caught up in all of the secondary pursuits. But it's like the moment it turns to Jesus, the Holy Spirit shows up, pops in, and he goes, hey guys, this is actually what I'm all about. You guys have met him too? I've met him. He's awesome, isn't he? I've known him longer than you have. You can just sense it. And the Spirit breathes life when you elevate Jesus. Number three, number three, seek the Spirit in prayer. There is a direct connection to the filling of the Spirit in your prayer life and rooting yourself in prayer. There is not revival apart from the passionate prayers of people desiring to be filled with the Spirit. You seek Him in prayer. Seek the Spirit. You say, well, where do we get this? Luke 11, Jesus tells us, right? Right? says, the Father above who loves you, if you seek the Spirit, will grant him to you. And so you just begin to seek the Spirit in prayer. See, I know that it is easy for us um, uh, and, and there are times when when we can begin to say like oh I want more of the Holy Spirit I want to desire more of the Holy Spirit and, and what that would look like is uh, maybe we need to do more worship songs or uh, or maybe there needs to be like you know beautiful keyboarding all of the time or, or whatever it might be and I uh, think God can use these types of things because he likes to use those things right and I want to feel a little bit something more and all of that and I want to have an experience about that and that must be what the feeling of the Holy Spirit is about and I'm not saying that God God can't do that, and that it isn't that sometimes. But if you want a filling of the Holy Spirit, don't chase an experience. Begin to pray that God would pour His Spirit out, and He will. So, being filled with the Spirit is not just about making sure that I get to the, um, uh, the latest thing that's going on or the biggest hype thing that's happening and feeling a little bit of emotion. The filling of the Holy Spirit happens in such a way that when you actually are filled with the Spirit, uh, it's like something that moves you and changes you, not just for an emotional experience, but for a long-term and so what we want to see around here is not like, like, sure, sure, I want to see the Spirit of God move, and I am like already praying and anticipating next Sunday night in our worship night. Like, I'm, I'm excited about it. But what I crave much more than that is a full filling of the Spirit on our church. Like, I can get just as excited about somebody who's been sitting on the pews refusing to step in and them operating in their gifts as I can about an emotional worship night. Why? Because that's filling with the Spirit. Like, like it might be as filling of the spirit, right? Uh, like for somebody to go from, I've been sitting forever and now I am standing and I am ready to be used again. That's the filling of the spirit beginning to move. It's him building up his church. We don't have to say that these things are always opposed to each other because they're certainly not. But I guess I am saying this. If you want to see the spirit of God, if you want to experience the filling of God, you got to start praying for it. You got to start praying for it. You got to start praying for it you pray for it in your individual life, your personal life, right? And haven't you had these moments? I hope you've had these moments. Goodness, I hope you have had these moments when you have just in prayer by yourself began to pray and maybe you were beginning to chase bad doctrine. Maybe you were harboring disunity against someone. Maybe you were in a deliberate sin and you began to pray and you repented or you turned and all of a sudden you get, whoo, you felt the Spirit. I mean, some of the most powerful moments of of my life were alone with the Spirit of God just praying and Him going, Like, son, I gotta flush some stuff out of you. I gotta give you some new idea and vision. And haven't you felt that corporately? I hope you have. That you're praying with the church, with the body of Christ, you're praying in that moment, and you're beginning to pray, and you're beginning to pray, and we haven't—you're you're not grieving the spirit, right? Because you, Jesus is being elevated, and you've taken care of all of that other little stuff, right? And you're just praying, and you're praying, and you're praying, and all of a sudden the spirit goes, Whoo! and he begins to work and move and do. This is not supposed to just be the stuff of the the religious elite, or a certain part of our faith. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that starts with us. You are all flesh. We are all flesh. And we should desire this and seek it. I've got four more myths to break through. I'm going to do those over the next... Sometime. <laughs> I will make no commitments, okay? <laughs> um, we, we will get them done. And we'll continue to work through this. Let's pray. Jesus, you are all of those things we talked about and more. You died for our sins. You rose from the grave. Death couldn't hold you. You ascended into heaven. You sit at the right hand of the Father. You are the head of your church. You intercede on our behalf. We love you. Father, if there's any in here this morning and they're still waiting or working on that initial prompting of the Holy Spirit, hey, if that's you, here's how you know something happened. If you have been disinterested in the things of God, either your whole life or for a season, and there was a moment today where you started to think, maybe there's something in this. That is the God of the universe saying to you, I love you. Come back. He does not care what took you astray. He does not care what happened in that season. Come back. He welcomes you with open arms. You don't even have to explain yourself to him. Let him love you. Walk in your freedom. Don't resist him. Father, may we never forget that heaven rejoices over one. Uh, Father, I pray also that um, I pray right now you would hit the activate button and that every gift listed in your scriptures would turn on in each person And Father, I pray that each person in here would truly be able to say, I've made room for you. Tell me what to do. And Father, hear the desperate cry of your church. Lord, send revival. Revival. we need it, we'll play whatever role you want us to play. Father, please hear us when we say, This is your church. It's not ours. Your rules, your way. Your leadership, your power. Breakthrough, Father. We pray for the return of every prodigal. We pray for joy to return to those who are distressed, despaired and depressed. We pray for some of those hand-holding squeezes this morning or on the way home from church between marriages and marriages. I pray that you would wake up, dead hearts. Heal past hurts. Father, you are the master builder. We are just the servant sent to do what we have been called. Point us in the right direction. Unify us so we can walk in the fullness of your power. Humble us so we never think it's about us. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connectcard. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.